Hello and welcome to Gaming the Podcast. My name is John Robertson, joined as ever by Stace Harmon. And this week we are once again talking about Elden Ring. Now there will be spoilers in this episode as Stace and I are roughly around level 50. So we're going to be talking about our experience from level 1 to level 50. Although it's not actually level 1, is it? Because I don't think either of us started off at level 1. Um, no, that's true. Yeah. So level no, starting level yeah. to level 50. So um, so I guess it makes sense to say what that means for each of us. Um, roughly like where are we in the world? What have we done? So yeah, Stace, around <laughs> level 50, where well, are me, you at? Let me regale you with a complete retelling of everything I've done in Elden Ring for the last 40 hours. Um, it started with... Uh, I have, the last thing I did, the last significant, I guess, story thing that I did, um, is make my way through Lucaria Academy. Uh, so I've just got to the, the second boss. And as John mentioned, there are spoilers, heavy spoilers. I've just got to the second boss of that area. Um, having beaten Radagon, who's like a, a fox, uh, shaped big beast thing. Um, and I'm fighting, uh, Renala. Uh, which is an interesting kind of two-stage boss fight. I fought her once, she's beaten me once, uh, I'm going to go back in later on and give that another go. But that's that's kind of where I am story-wise. I mean, of course, with Elden Ring, as anybody who has been playing it knows, neither your level, your character level, nor really the number of hours you've played is a a defining metric it's not really a comparable metric when you say to other people oh yeah i've done 20 hours too or i've done 30 hours that doesn't really mean much in terms of where you might be you'll have seen radically different stuff which is one of the wonderful things about Elden ring and part of what we're going to talk about today um but yeah that's where i am story-wise so how does that compare to your your kind of progression i think you you you're a little bit higher level. I think I'm about level 49, I think I am. You're a little bit higher than that, aren't you? So where are you, are, where are you in terms of the, the story events? Yeah, so I'm level 52, I believe. So I'm level... F- okay, let's start with where I am. Yeah, so I, I'm just beyond that. So I've completed the academy um, and I have gone slightly north of there. I've unlocked a new area, the Atlas Plateau. Mm-hmm. Um which has a very grand opening for anyone that's a grand introduction. Anyone that's um, been there will know, will know what I'm talking about. Um, but what I've actually just decided to do is that the Atlas Plateau, it's not that the Atlas Plateau is too tough for me because I've beaten enemies there, but I, I'm someone who kind of like, I opened up a lot of the map at the start and then didn't do mm. a lot of the stuff that I unlocked. I just kind of went there, unlocked it, got some grace points and then just ignored it. So what I've actually done is I've just recently decided to go back to Kalid and do some stuff mm-hmm. there because I thought like it's getting a bit unwieldy for me at the moment because I'm unlocking so much of the map, but there's so much of the stuff I've unlocked that I haven't done. So I'm starting to lose track of what I have and haven't done or what I might have missed or haven't missed. So um so I've gone back I've gone back there and I'm starting mm. to explore that area. Um yeah, I basically. mean that probably it actually it bears saying, yeah, cuz even in saying that I'm at Lucario Academy, so you've you've killed two of the five main bosses or the five as I understand it to be at least. Um two of the the demigod queen uh children of Queen Marika um i've killed one then i'm on my second so yeah that because even that like there are other places you can go where you know i don't know that lucario academy can be the last thing that you do but it might not be the second thing it might not be the second boss you i think certainly you can you could have done at least one other before you do this one so um yeah so you're a bit further it sounds like we've taken a similar path yeah it could be your first couldn't it yeah because you can I think there's a side route, a side route you can get because I think I unlocked Leonia stuff before I beat Godric. Because you can go around the side of the castle some somewhere. I can't remember how, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I got grace points up there. I didn't go into the academy, but the way that you get into the academy isn't linked to beating Godric. So I think you could go there first. Right. Well, I mean, so that just that just highlights it, really, isn't it? It's kind of what we're talking about. It's this whole thing of where you are in Elden Ring and what you're doing is um unlike many many other games even other open world games it's not 
really tied to, to how many hours you've put in or or what level you are so but it just as it happens i guess there is a probably most most common or most popular path through the game uh because certainly without discussing it between us two we seem to be taking quite a similar path um in terms of main story events at least so so of those though you've played 50 odd levels um and this is where you and even though we're only three levels apart that is quite a big gulf in terms of the number of runes you start to need to upgrade and i'm sure it just gets crazy yeah from here, i think actually, i'm on seventeen thousand. Like, yeah so we're a good 50 odd fifty-five thousand runes apart in terms of um our just those three levels um but what have been some of the things that have struck you i mean that's obviously a very broad question but what have been some what's like clearly you're enjoying it as am i what are the things that have been kind of your standout moments what are the either in terms of actual events or in terms of systems or the way the game's put together or what's kind of the well i think why the, is it so good the single most impressive thing and it's quite wishy-washy but um i think the sense of progression in general but but in so many different ways like uh the leveling up the ashes of war the weapons the talismans you know quests um and then not not even stuff that's kind of tangible but just like progress as in like when you first come across Leonia and you start going um you start exploring and you go to some of the higher there's a there's a high ledge that you can go there's like one of those whirlwind to- uh, mm. things where you can jump up on torrent to get to a really high ledge and what sort of made me feel like well like i am really progressing like beyond the leveling up and the weapons and that is there's a there's a certain ledge in leonia you can go and you can and towards the southern tip of it southern edge of it and um when you're up there in daytime you get this just ridiculously incredible view of the academy there on its sort of like impossibly mm. uh tall mm. narrow like defying gravity physics rock formation that it's built upon the commute um, to that place would be an absolute nightmare <clears throat> oh, it's uh, yeah studying that. uh they have to build a gondola or something up there mm. but the um um yeah and you look at it and then, and then it's all covered in mists um below and you can just see the trees sort of like sticking out of the of the mist canopy i suppose um and just like that view that that spectacle um you know that landscape just i think that was probably the starkest single point of like wow you are you do feel a sense of progression through this game like if you thought you know, mm. up until that point, it was already epic and it was already big and it was already impressive. But that view there, well, you know, which for me mm. happened, I don't know, 15, 20 hours into the game or something, maybe more. Um, that was probably the single biggest, like, oh, well, like, and now, you know, things are hotting up, sort of, yeah. sort of um, yeah. single moment. Um so yeah, I don't know. Like, and it's not to say that previous Souls games don't have those big, um, those big spectacle, visual spectacle moments, but something about like you know the open world and um, yeah, as I say, like it was already epic, and then you see that, and it just I don't know. It was just like a slap in the face of mm. like between here and here, like it felt like you were making loads of progress, and now you see this great amazing thing in front of you and it not only looks great but it's like well like there's still so much happening here that i just don't that i just don't have any any clue about beyond just this vague sense of the landscape yeah yeah that's yeah i've had a couple of moments like that and i think that the very beginning the opening you come out of the the underground kind of tomb cavern bit into limgrave and and that feels epic at that time. It feels like, oh, wow, there's a whole world to explore here. And there's lots, it's very densely populated. There's very, very, very well curated that bit as you come out into the world for the first time, because you see there's a person nearby to speak to. There's a church a bit further on. There's this big golden imposing knight uh, patrolling around. There's this crumbled bridge in the background. There's the Erd tree. There's like all these layers to that draw the eye and that in a in a 
design from a design point of view give you things immediately to aim at in the short medium and long term be that a person to go and speak to or a location to go to or a fight to engage with that you can you know the way that night is designed the tree sentinel is designed you can see pretty clearly that that is not a fight to go and pick immediately as you when you come out of the the tomb so it's there's all this very clever communication visual communication going on and that's one of the things that i think the way that the game gives you information in multiple ways and across multiple levels is one of the things that i've been most enjoying and there is i think if i was to pick a a particular point of that it's like it's the consistency of the world which encourages me to explore and experiment with things there's so i I found discovered recently very recently that just randomly i did a lightning attack on enemies standing in water and the lightning behaved differently than it does on land and it's a small thing and it's also in retrospect an obvious thing but only in so much as that you can trust that the world behaves in a way that is determined by the world itself, which sounds doesn't sound like it makes any sense, but it doesn't sound like it's, there's no pop-up, there's no tutorial pop-up that says, by the way, if you're doing lightning attacks and you attack somebody in water, you're going to get this arcing effect that has like an, an AOE, um, AOE damage attached to it that doesn't happen on land. That doesn't, nobody tells you that. It doesn't, you don't get a pop-up, um, but it's there. And knowing that, I'm now encouraged to try other attacks. And there's there's this trickling of information that you, even the day-night cycle is is another thing. Enemies appear or disappear during the day or, or at night. Knowing that very early on, being introduced to that very early on, gives you a reason to go and find places, to go and look at places that, I don't know, there's a bridge, there's nobody on the bridge, but it looks very like a very grand setting. Maybe I'll come back at night, maybe there'll be something there. So there's a, it's a very densely populated, populated as in people, but as in content, stuff to do, world. And, and there is, it's very rare that I've been disappointed or not given something to do when I've tried something. Yeah. I've, well, I'll go to this place. Or what's that on the Is that a thing on the map? Or is that just a weird, quirk, you know, visual quirk on the map? And I go there and know that is an actual thing. And then that leads to other things. And it's like, okay, so I can identify those. Minds are that. There's just so many things where the world feels like a consistent place that isn't just there for me. Um, it's there, you know, there'll be stuff that I know that I could talk to even after 40 hours and at level 50, pretty much. I could talk to you about, could talk to other people about, and there's stuff to learn about the world that I'm not aware of. That is that I, you know, and I love that. I love the fact that you don't get told everything. There's a, yeah. there's a uh, image doing the rounds on Reddit of, of that you pointed me at this, uh, if Ubisoft made Elden Ring and perhaps it's a bit unfair to pick on Ubisoft because it's not, it would be many other companies that aren't from software. Um, and it's just an app, a screen, absolutely chock-a-block full of like, you know, your character saying, oh, I should check out that cave that I saw earlier. And there's like a mini map that tells you, you know, points, million different points of interest and a compass bar that's pointing at loads of things. And Elden Ring just strips all that back and says, well, you know, there's like a two-way trust thing going on. It's like, you trust us that if you invest your time, you're going to find stuff to do and we'll trust you to, to work stuff out and, and find it. And that's yeah, feels so refreshing. And like, is anybody missing the tutorial stuff? Is anybody missing the oh, I don't know what to do now. I need an arrow to point me in the right direction. You know, like I haven't really seen anything. People talk about difficulty, but they don't talk about like, oh, where's my tutorial, you know? Yeah, I mean, there probably are. It's just maybe those people seeing how much positivity and hype there is around it are probably just a bit a bit shy to come out and and, and stake their <laughs> stake their, yeah, their beliefs. I mean, it's not flawless. Um, let's get let's make that not I'm not pretending no. it's flawless at all. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just... I don't know. It is yeah. astounding. On on the on the seeing information bit, it's interesting because I have just gotten. So, um, if you listened last week, you know I'm playing a samurai, and I've just unlocked. I unlocked two swords yesterday. Or oh, well, unlocked. Nice. I, I got two swords yesterday. So I was telling I'm you the other day. File. That's awesome that you have yeah. two. That's. I was telling you. Um, yes, yeah, so I got three samurai swords in total now. Um, Yesterday, off off the podcast or the day before, mm. I was telling you about the magma worm, 
boss mm-hmm. that, yeah, yeah, I, that yeah. I went then that I tried once and died. Went back. It's not actually that difficult. I beat it second time, the third time overall. Um, defeating that got me a new katana. And I was like, <laughs> oh great. <laughs> um, the Moonvale katana. The problem is with the Moonvale katana is that you need an intelligence oh, of twenty of oh, no. twenty five. I think it might be oh, like no. eighteen or something. Uh, anyway, it's it's many level. It might even be fifteen. I can't remember. It's it's uh, my intelligence currently eight, so it's it's a long way off. Um, and so I unlocked that, and but I also unlocked another katana, the Naga Kiba, which is very much like the katana you start with as a samurai, but it's just really long. Like it's like double mm-hmm. the length mm-hmm. or a third extra length or fifty percent extra or something. It's, it's it's significantly longer. Um, and that needs strength. 25 or something to to wield with one hand you can two-hand it with my current strength that's fine um but getting the nut on the on the information bit getting the naga keeper you have to talk to this guy yura or do this guy yura's quests and yura is right at the start of the game but i didn't see him at the start of the game and anyway you have to do he wants you to go and kill these phantoms that invade your world and i was killing these Anyway, because I mm-hmm. was going, I was just by chance um, visiting areas of the world and they would pop out. Whether or not you talk to him or not, they still pop out and attack you. Yeah, It's just that I'd already killed a bunch and then I spoke to him and then he's like, oh, you've only got one left or whatever. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> um, anyway, I killed the last Happy one. Yeah. Well, I saw him again, got the swords. Then the last one pops out. You kill him. Like, that's a spoiler. Um, you kill her, actually. Um so it's interesting that, yes, the game doesn't give you all of the information that you need, but it also doesn't ask you to access that information or do things in a certain order in order mm. to make mm-hmm. it work. So, like, Euro was already there and I missed him, or, well, quote-unquote, missed him, you know, um, but by missing him, it doesn't mean that I'm choked off yeah. i'm choked like I'm, I'm, I'm kept out of that of of achieving of getting the nagakiba or doing those quests i was just doing it without even knowing yeah and then you go yeah. back and he's like oh like thanks <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah the game feels like more alive and sort of in in in, the, in all of those things all of those things that you were saying um because it doesn't like quests paths don't always have to be accessed by like at a certain yeah. point in order to be valid and and activated you can like you know you can do accidentally do part four and three of the quest and then do part Mm. one and two afterwards and that's still completely that's still completely fine which is um yeah which is quite complex quite a complex um yeah i like also that that points to the fact that you're you're doing stuff uh without being you're not doing stuff because you've been told to do it. You're not yeah. doing stuff because you have a big gold quest marker that says go here and no, do this. No, no. Or oh, and if you're if you're bored, you can go and track down, you know, the third phantom of those four phantoms, and here they are on the map. It's just like I don't know. I mean, it's very easy to to knock other things, but there is a. I think there is a. It's an important point to bring up because the way that open world games have been made for a long time has been it's it's been iterated on and it's evolved but it's been very similar f- across multiple developers and multiple publishers for a long time and often the biggest and most popular ones and the ones that, that most people see are the ones made by the biggest publishers or are the ones that are you know either made or put out into the world by the biggest publishers and that locks them into doing things in a certain way because they can't they have to make things accessible they can't risk spending tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars on making a game that people just bounce off because they don't get it they would rather err on the side of caution and be like let's make sure that nobody can get lost or nobody can have a bad time because they can't navigate the world so i understand why why they're made like that and there has been iteration in that and i've seen it you know horizon for me is a and it is a a step in the right direction and ghost of tsushima as well also from sony um that has the i guess the the bravery to not link unlocking the map to towers which a lot so many games do um so that you can see where all the content is that's very much if you want to go and find out what's over there you have to go and explore it so but elden ring in presenting its open world i think 
has changed things and is going to change things moving forward. Not for everybody. It's not going to like be a you know a sea of change overnight, and it's going to be well. There's not going to be any more open worlds like there used to be, but it shows that you can take some risks and trust your players and and this isn't just because oh it's a from software game so it's hard therefore i have to play this in a different way to how i normally play games this isn't about that side of it this is about the just how you create and populate a world and how you present that world to to the players that isn't just you're at the center of this and everything's about you and what do you want to do this is Elden Ring, you play like that. What do you want to do? But it's it. You get that sense of a world that existed prior to you arriving, and and exists whilst you're there. And it just stuff just goes on, and either you're party to it or not. And there is a there's a liberation in accepting that that you might you won't see everything. Probably you won't see everything. You're gonna maybe you know maybe you don't ever come across this guy because I haven't met this person that you're talking about. I've seen some of the phantoms, but I haven't actually encountered this NPC to kind of you know, cash those in. And maybe I never will. I mean, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll contrive to put this person in front of me, but maybe I just won't ever see them. And I'm okay with that. You know, it's like, I don't need to a hundred percent this thing and be shown where every single one of these 500 collectibles is on the map in order to go and track it down. I'll just find stuff as I'm exploring. And that, that is, it's so refreshing. It's so, and to not be interrupted constantly by, you know, npc chatter like they're getting in touch with you so you really have to go and do this thing now because it's mission critical it's just like you do whatever you want whenever you want and that's it's just yeah it's a nice feeling to not be uh i don't know constantly hounded you know like you put the game it's quite a quiet game in that sense is how i think of it it's quite a i'm put it on and just do whatever i want and and yeah. be left alone. <laughs> it's quite yeah, it's in- Yeah, it's interesting because I think I think think about other open world games. I think going the complete opposite of Elden Ring and unlocking everything, uh, unlocking all the map and having loads of stuff on the map immediately available to you for you to do. Um, so completely the other side of the coin also works mm. brilliantly, but it depends on what sort of game it is. Because I'm thinking about Forza Horizon. That just mm-hmm. unlocks the whole map and just gives you loads of races. It's not everything. You have to go through championships and unlock more stuff as you go. But that would be an absolute nightmare of a game if it didn't tell you what what was available, like just immediately. Because mm. it's not trying mm. to do that same. It's not trying to. In, it's not trying to create that same feeling in you as Elden Ring. It's more about um, that makes the world feel big because it's got so much to do so immediately. It's not like, no, unlock this and then unlock this and unlock this. It just gives you loads of stuff to do. And the multiplayer side yeah. of that means that you kind of have to have loads of events and stuff available because you don't want to be in your multiplayer party and just like, and now let's travel the world for 30 minutes and see if we can find a race. So, <laughs> but it's it's the middle ground. It's the sort of, it's the um, it's the games that try to get like the best of both worlds that just end up feeling like Yeah, none. yeah. Uh, well, that, in both of those cases, I would say, in both... Forza Horizon and in Elden Ring, the game is thematically consistent and true to itself. And I know that, you know, I'm a big one for this. I, you know, the role-playing stuff, my character in Elden Ring's name is Celine, and that's the Celine from Returnal. She's got one blue eye, one orange eye. There's a whole thing there that I've created for a backstory. It's like a D&D character. I've created a backstory for her. Um, or just pinched it from somewhere else, actually. Uh, but in both of those cases, the the game feels like it's being consistent and true to itself because thematically it makes perfect sense for Forza Horizon to be set in whatever location, whatever real world location. And you as a character in that world, but also a player of that game, understand that that is a known and mapped location. And you are told as a character in that world, you get a car, you're going to go and race. Here's a bunch of stuff to do, right? That's That makes perfect sense. There's still stuff you have to unlock, of course, but it's not, there's not like unknowns. You're not like, oh, let's find out the next next piece of, I don't know, Colorado or wherever. So Mexico that makes perfect year. sense. Okay, cool. <laughs> I was vaguely close. Um, and then Elden Ring makes sense. As for your character in the world, you're coming into this world. You do find map pieces, but they're just pieces of a map that just show you the topography of the land that you're in. They don't show you where the merchants are and where, you know, the sites of grace are. You have to go and find those by exploring. So those, there's a real, for me, a real pleasing sense of consistency that the the form and function of it, the what it is, is backed up by how it behaves. 
And that is what you don't get, I think, from a lot of other open world games where, like you say, I think there is a bit of wanting the best of both worlds. They want to tie world, uh, like the unlocking of the world to the progression of your character. And Well, they want you to feel like an explorer, but never to be lost like yes. so yeah. so that yeah. there's always there's always a dissonance there's always a disconnect there that's that that one one side or the other is always going to feel weak like the lonely planet version lonely planet version of exploring you know it's like here go exploring but take this lonely planet with you because yeah. you're going to need to know where to get lunch so what about on the on the character side then so on um so in the last episode, I said I'm fully focused on decks and mm, vigor, yeah. like so health and decks and a little, literally two or three points um, into endurance to increase my stamina a bit. Um, and I've stuck to that. And that's still what I'm on, on level 52. The only, those are the only things I've really focused on. Um, well, they are the only things I've focused on. But I'm now at a point where I've got, I, I've got about 20,000 souls, 20,000 runes on me. But I haven't spent them yet because now that I've got these two mm. new swords, I'm not sure where to go. And it's me- uh, with my character, and it's making what's making the decision particularly difficult. Like I would have just carried on um, buffing Dex and Vigor um, if it wasn't for the fact that I'm now in the areas that I'm going in some parts of Kalid in the Atlas Plateau. I'm coming up against enemies that are just difficult to beat now, like normal enemies. They're just difficult to beat um, mm. at all times. Whereas up until now, I've always, it's always been that the majority of en- enemies in an area can be pretty easily taken care of and then, uh, you know, whittled, whittled away and yeah. then just leave the difficult ones to focus on. But that's not easy now because, you know, the eight enemies in a room or six enemies in a room or whatever are all quite challenging. Mm. Um, mm. So uh, given that I'm so dedicated towards getting in close and doing loads of damage and then getting out again, trying to find those gaps between the six or eight enemies is getting more and more difficult. So I'm yeah. starting to die more. So now I don't know where to take my character, which is why I haven't spent the runes. So is there, is there, is that, is there any sense of disappointment? point were you disappointed when you got the you know two two new weapons not just one is like, oh, okay that one's uh you know i need extra strength for but two and they both need something that you haven't been leveling because like i don't know did it feel like well this sword type requires decks like it's disappointing now that i yeah I don't know, like so misled in some way or like it's, it's like well, well i don't know is, i'd wouldn't know. yeah i don't know i wouldn't say that i i think i think initially i probably was a bit not disappointed, but just like annoyed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but now I think maybe it's wiser and more fun to treat it like an opportunity rather than a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can wield the Naga Kiba in two hands. So I can basically just swap out my right my current the Uchi and you can still level up the sword, right? You can still smith the sword to yeah, yeah, and, and I've been doing level. that. It's already on a plus five or something and um the moon veil katana i haven't at all yet because i just can't i can't do any i can't wield that single or dual handed um so yeah so i so basically what i'm doing at the moment is i'm using the naga keeper like i did with my other sword i'm I'm two-handing it because it's the only way i can effectively use it and um, it's doing a similar thing as my last one. It's not quite as powerful as my last one yet because it hasn't been leveled up as much, but it's got the, the longer range does make it a bit easier to mm. use when there's crowds to deal with because um, I can start hitting them earlier before they get to me. Um, but I think what I really want to do, given the difficulty of the enemies that I'm facing, and I probably need to mix it up and can't just keep relying on... Well, I suppose I could, but I, I don't know if I want to now that I've got these... Now that these swords have sort of, like, yeah. the new swords have sort of, like, opened the ideas, um, the floodgates of ideas, how to, how to take the character, I think what I want to do is be able to wield the Moon Veil and the Naga Kiba at the same time. <laughs> Like one in one hand, one in I the mean, other. I mean, how cool would that be? Um, <laughs> so, wielding katanas. So it's going to take me, I think, another 18 levels or something like that to be able to do that. Um, I'll, very, I'll be 
fairly quickly i think five to seven levels time i can't remember the exact numbers but in five to seven levels time i'll be able to wield a naga kiba in one hand so i'll be able to have that in one hand and my normal one my small mm-hmm. one in the other mm-hmm. um but it's going to be a long while before i can wield the moon veil in one hand um i haven't I done find... any respecking. yeah okay right yeah um, was, yeah but i don't know if i want to do that because even though the Nagakiba requires a certain strength level, it actually scales with decks, so better than it yeah. does with strength. So you need yeah. a certain strength in order to hold it of one hand because it's so long and heavy. But after that, you, it scales with decks. So, so all the decks that I've built up will help the Nagakiba. You can affect that through the Ashes of War. Uh, the stat you can't affect as far as i'm aware the stat the how much of a stat you need to wield a thing but you can affect how it scales and whether it scales more with dex than with strength or or both i think that quality i think is the one that does basically even and keen is dex and keen is dex, yeah. yeah and strength um, or whatever or might or yeah whatever it's called is i did also i have also found an item that would speed things up a bit insofar as it's a thing that i found that boosts some of your stats but you take more damage yeah the talisman the red you, the red yeah one. it's like um, a bible or something um yeah i don't want to use that um <laughs> because because i take quite a lot of damage already because i'm so close yeah i so. haven't experimented with how much extra damage you take actually i haven't noticed it i got it uh recently and i started using it. i haven't noticed it to be a problem like as in it, it's problematic how much extra damage i'm taking so i don't know i mean that might be worth experiment might be worth experimenting with that because i don't know um it it does add i don't know three or four points or something to i think to strength and dex and mind to a bunch of stuff um or arcane intelligence perhaps yeah um, i'm using three talismans at the moment how many how many okay i've you... only got two yeah right. so my my i'm on uh, I'm on a similar, th- well, not a similar thing at all, actually, because I haven't gone down. I didn't go kind of hard down one route. I was a bit, as I mentioned last week, a little bit kind of wishy-washy, I suppose, in, you know, a bit like a magpie. Like I picked something up. I picked up a a new glintstone sorcery and I was like, oh, this looks fun. I'm going to, I need to put an extra couple of points of in- into intelligence to to use this. So a lot of my stats are quite, evenly spread apart from i don't know faith um i haven't done much on and uh endurance i think i haven't done a huge amount on so but i'm looking for a second flail for some reason i think because i've been so long in trying to find one i now really like this idea of dual wielding flails i think this just is tremendous fun so i want to do that i seem to have two of every other weapon i've got two swords i've got two daggers i've got two hammers i've got like Basically everything. Two whips, even, I've got, which could also be cool. Um, but yeah, I can't find a second flail. So that's that's my ongoing quest. But I'm I'm still doing, probably like you, similar insofar as the thing I started out doing, I'm still doing. It's just that mine was quite spread. I wasn't really excelling or specialising in anything. So I've still got a shield and a flail. And then I've got two daggers for dual wielding daggers, and I've got a, a staff for sorcery. So I'm, I come, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sort of maybe spread too thin, but uh, nonetheless, I'm having fun. Um, I get to feel cool dual wielding daggers <laughs> when things are a bit easier, you know. Like I don't, I don't really risk doing it when there's actual hard enemies around us, but when I, I get to do it, you know, against low level enemies and feel like I'm being badass even though um it's relatively easy so so how do you approach boss fights with, with a with a with mm, a, a with a spread of stats like that like when i when i go against bosses or up, up until this point now i might be changing tactics but up mm. until now my because i know my strengths and weaknesses so intimately mm. i can um i i have a focus when um well when learning a boss's attacks and their movement patterns and then how to see the gaps in there because i know what kind of gaps i need to look for immediately yeah Um, yeah Yeah. so yeah i am it it probably takes me longer to suss that out and i did catch myself being kind of overly cautious like running around circling around an arena with a shield up in the ways of like 
you know, Demon Souls, Dark Souls kind of days. But then realizing, and it was through a conversation that we had about, like, well, maybe I should try and two-hand a weapon more frequently, because that doesn't really favor me. The longer a boss fight goes on, the more likely I am that is that I'm going to die, because I'll get, you know, hit a couple of times, my stamina will get depleted, I'll be open to an attack. So really, to an extent, I need to be far more, far more the aggressor, not necessarily super aggressive but i just need to be more the aggressor than like reacting to what's going on so but i will typically still enter with a shield and it's kind of shield and flail and then once i've got a feel for it i'll try and then two hand the flail and just dodge through attacks um daggers i haven't really tried on bosses yet um they're i mean they're awesome like you get a lot of attacks in as you'd imagine and they do bleed damage and all the rest of it but you need to get a lot of attacks off uninterrupted before uh, to really do proper damage. So, and the sorcery stuff. See, I've been using like the spirit summons more, certainly more than you have. I know. Um, I think I've used it twice in total just to see what they did. And, yeah, um, and I've got some pretty decent ones now. Like that's become quite a thing of like finding, not really going to track them down because I don't know where they are. But when I find new ones, well, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to give that a try. And I've got a couple of kind of stronger characters now, um, and I use them mainly for aggro i suppose in the way that you would if you summon somebody into your world um like another a co-op player it just splits the attention of the boss and it means i can then i use it as kind of a like an information gathering thing obviously that they're, they're doing some damage which is helpful but it's an information gathering thing because whilst they're attacking that other thing i can see yeah like, gauge yeah. those windows so it's it's a similar thing but it's just not as i guess it's not as proactive maybe it's a bit it is still i'm still being more reactive and i think that is in my nature in a game like this that i'm i sort of need more before i feel like i can back myself to do the thing um but yeah i mean it's working it's been working out i haven't really yeah it's still that thing as i said last week that the most times i've died to anything in this game including bosses is some random guy in some random knight in a room in stormvale castle who just murdered me multiple times um yeah and it's ridiculous and it was it was just a nothing guy it was like you didn't i didn't need to kill him i think you go in there to get a key you know you can just do that and get out again but i became bloody minded about it so wanted to kill him um, yeah. and eventually did so when you're looking at what bosses there so <clears throat> you know so, some bosses are really aggressive and some are more defensive do you do you, have you noticed any um preference on your end or any greater or lesser ability on your end to be more or less successful depending on whether they're aggressive or more defensive because i think and i think the academy is a good sort of microcosm of that because the mm. radagon boss and renala are very different mm-hmm. radagon is super mm-hmm. aggressive renala is much more defensive i would say in that um you're often having to avoid lots of things that she creates or that are yeah that are summoned by her or controlled by her whereas radigan is just on you all the time so yeah with i think in general although the rule doesn't actually this is an exception to the rule so i think in general i do better against the very aggressive bosses because i need them close to me anyway mm. in order to mm-hmm. deal damage so if they're going to come on to me then if i can learn their attack patterns quickly enough and I know what they're going to do when they come close to me, then I can use that to my advantage and get some some strikes in. Um, yeah. Whereas if it's more defensive and they're yeah, creating shields and stuff there, the I have to get a lot. Yeah. yeah, I have to get through yeah. a lot before I can even get to them. Although the Renata one didn't quite work like that because it turns out if you can get close enough to her, she's pretty weak against, um, yeah. against yeah. the weapons that I've got. So I made fairly short work of her. I didn't, didn't beat her first time or anything, but it wasn't wildly difficult but in general those more defensive bosses pose more of a problem for me in terms of dealing damage than the aggressive ones. well do you know it's it's interesting because my reaction to as you were asking that question was more it's more of kind of a psychological thing it's more about how do i feel facing those bosses than it is how like from a character build point of view and i think there is that you know, probably quite uh, typical or at least, you know, easy to understand, if not relate to, that when I go into a boss fight, if something's super aggressive, then that puts me on the back foot, you know, as it's as it's meant to. Um, 
and I will find myself being more tentative and then have to force myself to be more aggressive because those are the fights that the longer they go on, I, the more likely I am that I'm just going to die because mm. I can only defend for so long. Um, whereas, but then in like the Radigan fight, again, that you're right, that is a really good kind of two-hander fight. Um, it's almost almost like they planned it that way, I guess. It's a really good example of that. So you get the, the different, um, yeah, the different kind of methodologies at work. And I think the thing, again, psychologically, I was encouraged by, I defended a bit against Radigan. And then when I did get an attack off, I noticed it did quite a lot, relatively quite a lot of damage. I was yeah. like, okay. And then that encouraged me. You know, this is all from my own, like how I feel playing the game rather than rather than what I know makes sense for my character. Um, and then that encouraged me to be more aggressive and to, you know, accept that I'm going to get hit a bit, but actually if I can get those hits in, either make him bleed stagger him so yeah there's a there's definitely a there's more a me as the person playing the game than i know my character can do this and i know that they are good at x and so that's what i'm going to push for it is i'm still probably in that way being reactive um and then just trying to push up onto the sort of the front foot rather than being on the back foot more often and mm. you know that conversation we had about like the fact that you said you don't you're not using a shield at all that well, yeah. I mean, I'm aware that that is a that is a legitimate way to play. But it's like, why am I not trying that a bit more and trusting myself to learn the attack patterns, to dodge through them, and you know? And so I did that a bit more, and it is it is enjoyable. It does kind of push you. It feels like it propels you forward rather than kind of yeah, again, like putting you on the back foot. So yeah, well, you don't have a yeah. choice. Like all you've got, well, is yeah, attacks, yeah. really. Um, and yeah, and learning like the so I've got some magic. Learning the the different timings for the charged attacks on magic. That's another thing that's like not just oh they do more damage if you charge them, but they behaving in a slightly different way. You can use that as part of the strategy in boss fights. I don't use magic a lot in boss fights, but where I do, it's kind of a I've been using the same sorcery from the beginning. It's this one that creates a sword that hangs in the air for a bit before it fires. They use it in um you see it in the academy as well. Uh, but you charge that up and the longer you charge it up, the longer it takes to fire. And then you it, you can set it as like a trap because you can then effectively maneuver the enemy sort of so that it hits them, hits behind them or when they jump, it hits them and it knocks them down. So there's, yeah, there's kind of a uh, a sort of trapper kind of mentality going on. Um, but that or a lot of that is based on how I feel going into a boss fight, which I find interesting in and of itself. I I like to examine that about myself as I'm playing. So, okay, why am I why am I sitting back here? Because this is not no good for me to get forward. Um, so yeah, my approach to bosses tends to be probably start with mild panic, and then kind of ease into it, and then actually push up and do the things that perhaps I should have been doing from the beginning of the fight, and just get in there and yeah, and get stuck in and trust that I can dodge, keep an eye on stamina, all you know, all of that kind of usual stuff. But, um. Yeah, I'd be interested to see the boss fights that you do because it feels like your window for learning that stuff is much, much smaller. There's a much shorter time frame that you have to... Because you don't get to just stand there and block and then be like, okay, I get the timing of that. No. You have to, you have to no, react I have to actively. Yeah, yeah. And I, you can keep dodging around, but in certain bosses, it just gets impossible. Like on Rinala, that fight is way easier for my ability if that ends quickly. Like mm. wait, because she can't, mm. she can't get all of her summons and 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 stuff out. So, yeah. so in order to learn how to beat her with my builds, requires me to learn how to beat her quickly. Really, so I yeah. don't. So it doesn't yeah. really benefit me from like just hanging back and waiting for trying to stay alive for two or three minutes and just seeing what she's got because mm -hmm. that isn't that isn't going to help me. Like if it goes that long, um, I'm probably in trouble. So, Particularly against a magic user, I imagine. I mean, against anybody, I suppose. Even some, yeah, like anyone ranged. ranged but, yeah, yeah, anyone yeah. ranged is 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 a real issue. Yeah. So, so my my opening gambits are not hang around and see what she does. It's just like, okay, she cut the range yeah. down immediately. <laughs> um, Don't care what she does. This is what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is why, which is why, yeah, it's easier to fight Radagon or whatever because he comes at you. Like, there's no mm. range to worry mm. about. Um, you need to be worried in the opposite way. You need to create distance again um once you've got your attack self otherwise he is yeah because his health is really low isn't it he's a bit of a, yeah he, he hits he hard but he yeah. but he um 
yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he uh, his his health isn't super high. So, so yeah, it's an interesting one. I the think- Renala, yeah, go on. the Renala fight I found is probably the easiest boss fight I've had. So of the main bosses, not not like some of the sub bosses. Um, I found that. Mm, the easiest yeah, one i i don't i don't know if i just got lucky or whatever but on i think it was my second or third attempt on her on the second phase on like the moonlit scene um mm. yeah i just i got in i got in and out quickly um at the start of of that that attempt and and that was it it was over like she just couldn't couldn't react to that mm. so well, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll let you know how many attempts it takes me. I'm on my second at the moment, but we'll see how we'll see how that goes. Uh, there's a bit of a trek back to that fight, um, which is typical for a Souls game, but not so typical for an Elden Ring. For Elden Ring, it tends to be a lot more forgiving in that sense. You get a lot more chances to go again with like the stakes of Marika. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I've got a bit of a trek back, and then I have to keep retrying. Um, as a Do final you- thing, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I was going to say as a final thing, but this thing <laughs> final, whatever the final thing is. Final thing. In general, and I know I don't like to really just focus on the difficulty of these games, but it is but it is still an important element. I see that like, a lot of people see like the difficulty in these games as like the main bit. I, I've started to think of it more as like, it's like the alcohol in an alcoholic drink, right? Like it doesn't, <laughs> for some people, yeah, the alcohol is just, yeah, I'll have a shot or I'll have a beer or whatever because mm. it's got alcohol in it and that's the end end of it. Like some people play Elden Ring because it's difficult and that's the end. Mm. But the alcohol is the bit in the drink that brings the rest of the elements together, right? And I kind of see the difficulty is in, in, in Elden Ring, in Souls mm-hmm. games, as being like that. It's like, it's the glue that connects everything together. It makes all the all these things that we've been talking about feel more meaningful, more of an achievement and, you know, more aspirational to beat. But in general, how do you find across the first 50 levels, the, the, the difficulty? Cause I have to say, I think this is a bit easier than both Demon Souls and Bloodborne that are the, the ones that I've played, played recently. It's not necessarily that like the, the bosses are easier than, than those bosses mm. or whatever, although I think those games so far have had higher challenges, but again, we're not at the end of this game, so we don't know. Um but the, but yeah, like like the stakes of Marika, like you said, uh I always I always seem to have comfortably enough healing flasks. Um you know, there's other stuff to do if you're stuck, you can level up there's many, many, many ways of going to find runes to level up like many more ways than there were in the souls games where you just kind of have to just do those same runs again and again and again to get yeah the souls yeah well that yes and that so i i similarly i think i would say i probably i would say that i've i think i found it to be easier slash more accessible than a lot of the games in the soul series but the it's it like I, I haven't really thought about the difficulty. I haven't got to that point where I am banging my head against the brick wall, apart from Stormvale Castle and one room, and I'm needing, to, you know, I'm being bloody minded about it because it doesn't. I didn't really ever get to that point, and sometimes that's because I, I haven't got to a point where I've gone into a boss fight and done it so many times that I've had to just go away because I'm just not getting anywhere. And I definitely had that with some of the Souls games. Um, I, I don't think I did with Bloodborne, but certainly, yeah, Dark Souls, I did. So it does feel more accessible. It does feel easier, but it feels mostly for me like the difficulty isn't a thing to focus on. And perhaps some of that is, as you're saying, it's like it's a it's the thing that binds a lot of the the ingredients. And because you know the game is like that, it means I'm going and seeking out certain things. I'm going and finding those mines on my map to then to then get smithing stones. And I'm not doing that because the game is difficult. I'm doing that because I am aware that there is a... I mean, what is it? I guess it's like it's unforgiving or it's... It just doesn't... It, it kind of doesn't care about you. Like, you might go into a boss fight and find it really easy. The game doesn't care. The game hasn't failed in that instance. It's like, mm. that was fine. There'll be an enemy along soon that you will have trouble with, as I found. And that's, you know, I like that. I like, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a big song and dance. I mean, of course, the story is quite grand. It's like this high fantasy thing of all of these characters and their, their relationships and how they fit together into the world. And so it doesn't want you to tear through those bosses 
too easily, I imagine, but there isn't like a, it doesn't set anybody up to be like, oh, this person is invincible and then you make it look stupid. And equally, it doesn't kind of insult you by saying this, but oh, this is a really easy boss. You know, I see messages Mm. in in the world and it's like, oh, weak foe ahead. And that annoys (laughs) me because it's like, it's like, well, that's, everybody's version of that is different. It's like, okay, great. Like it's weak for the build that you're using, but that doesn't, and it just creates that feeling you know, it's like when somebody asks you a question, you're like, oh, I mean, obviously, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I said, like, well, actually, no, I didn't know that. And it, it, I don't know, who does it benefit to say this is really easy or this is, this is, uh, you know, a weak foe. So anyway. Yeah, uh, sounding yeah. every bit like, we're not getting any younger, are we? Because my, <laughs> my dad has this thing where he hates people that say obviously. It's like, well, obviously, sir, it's because of this. He's like, well, it's not obvious. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah yeah definitely definitely i am definitely getting old that's for sure um what was the question yeah so difficulty yeah i mean it's something that i I haven't thought as much about it in this game as i have in some of the souls games i think those are much they're much more tightly curated and they know you can farm obviously but they know kind of where you're going to be at any given point in that game and how much of it you've unlocked and roughly you know within a banding of how many levels you're you're likely to be at Whereas Elden Ring feels much more just, here's the world, go at it. And I haven't even really, as I say, had that thing of, I'm banging my head against Brinkwell over here, I'm going to go over here instead. I've just kind of explored places I've wanted to. And in some cases, then been like, okay, I'll come back later, because, you know, even this tiny little imp enemy is uh, is killing me in like one or two hits. Um, But yeah, I think it is. And as we said last week, for anybody that has been put off Souls games, uh, you're probably not listening to this podcast if that's you, but anybody that has or anybody that's got friends who have, this I think is the game. This isn't like the culmination of the Souls series in a, you have to play through those as training to get to this point to be able to play it because it's just so hard. It's almost the opposite. This is all of the lessons that have been learned in those games put into one big world and kind of presented to you to do with that whatever you want and in whichever way you want. So I would say, yeah, certainly it's the most accessible game from 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 Software in in many many years, uh, and it's not obtuse either. It doesn't, you know, as I say, that at the beginning it teaches you stuff. The information is there. Yeah, just try stuff out and see, you know, and take note of what you learn. I think that's the don't expect a prompt telling you that you can you can press circle to dodge backwards and then press R one to attack, and it does a different type of attack. Lots of Souls veterans will know that, but lots of new people won't because it doesn't tell you that. So you just try stuff out with the tools that you've got and hopefully you'll have uh, a very fun time. Yeah. All right, so it sounds like levels 1 to 50 for us have been pretty pretty positive. So yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we'll be talking about Elden Ring, um, I'm sure... Um, some more in future episodes so do subscribe and check those out when they uh when they arrive uh otherwise thank you for listening and we will see you again next time